Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. The attack on all your senses from minute one. It was incredible. Don't just hand over this life. Educate yourself. I welcome anything that will help to protect the children further. The same spiel we get from them. Very little respect. Can we just talk? Call 0818 9696 9696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 396. And on the first morning, as I walked up to Broadcasting House from parking the car, the first morning I could see some light in the sky comes the news that we will have a St. Patrick's Day parade once again in the city, starting at one o'clock on St. Patrick's Day. All going well. Plans are afoot and all going well. We will have a St. Patrick's Day parade in Cork City this year. My goodness, we've missed it. Uh, More on that a little bit later on. Also, we're continuing to try to get to the bottom of what's going on in the passport offices of the country. Some of the responses we've had, some of the waiting times are just redonkulous, absolutely bonkers. And we're going to try and get to the bottom of what's going on uh, later on this morning. But I do need to begin this Thursday with a story that struck us all at the time uh, by the brutal nature of what happened to a man who was universally liked around town. I'm thinking about 53-year-old Timmy Howrahan, who died on the 13th of October 2019 at Mardyke Walk in Cork City where he was one of a number of homeless people living in and uh, poor Timmy suffered an awful death. It's, 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 that's no secret. We've talked about it on the programme for many days. At the time, two people have gone on trial for his murder uh, in Waterford. Um, but only one of them can presently be named. I'm joined by reporter Owen Dalton, who's covering this case at the Central Criminal Court, which is sitting in Waterford for these purposes. Owen, as I said, two men, two men on trial. We can only name one. So tell me about James Brady. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, one man cannot be named for legal reasons. Uh, he's 
charged with murder and he'll be tried separately at a later date. Uh, the man who is being tried for the next two to three weeks is James Brady, uh, with an address provided at Shannon Lawn Mayfield in Cork. And he, he pleaded not guilty yesterday uh, to the murder of Timothy Harahan um, in what, what the prosecution described as a so-called tented village would have been uh, just off Mardike Walk. And uh, Mr. Brady is accused of, of kicking the 53-year-old like a football in the head and the groin as, as part of a sustained assault. Um, so it's very serious and very vicious sounding assault, really. And, and it would have, you know, like you said yourself, it, it would have caught uh, a lot of, I think, headlines uh, around the country at the time it happened um, because of the nature of it. Um, and the jury at the Central Criminal Court yesterday in Waterford, they heard that the father of one was found injured and unconscious by the fire service next to his tent, which had been set alight, and it seemed that clothes and other items had been thrown onto the blaze, uh, and the victim later died at Cork University Hospital. Um, he was from West Cork and was a trained chef, and uh, I believe it worked for the Hilton Hotel chain in the UK previously. Um, and really, when it came to the state setting out their case yesterday, uh, they're saying that James Brady took part in the assault, um, and that uh, Siobhan Langford, the senior counsel prosecuting the case, she brought the jury back to summer 2019 in Cork and how, I, I suppose, a number of people started maybe gravitating and started living uh, at Mardike Walk in, in the fields there um, and uh, people who were otherwise homeless, as, as she described it. And she said that there became, I think, over maybe the course of maybe three or four months, uh, tensions between different groups of friends in the camp and that Mr. Harrahan and Mr. Brady had had a disagreement prior, which had aggravated matters. Um, and she said that she would be setting out the, the different strands of, of the different, uh, I suppose, groups of friends in the camp around that time. Um, Mr. Harrahan himself had moved out of the camp for actually a number of weeks um, prior, but he returned in days before his eventual death on the, the early hours of around Saturday, or Saturday, Sunday, 13th of October 2019 and the fatal incident in the case it involves him, Mr. Brady the unnamed man and the unnamed man's female partner mm-hmm. and it took place at around 20 past midnight and Miss Langford said that there's going to be a number of different witness accounts in the case uh, but she did caution the jury that, uh, that there is a bit of a health warning with them, they will differ they'll have to use their judgement um, and so one of the witness accounts will refer to this unnamed man's female partner. She will take the stand at a certain point and she will give evidence that she begged the two men to stop kicking Timmy Hurrahan while he lay on the ground and that she herself had thrown herself on top of him to protect him, but, but to no avail. Um, other witnesses will say that they saw James Brady kicking the victim as though he was kicking a football. And another witness uh, who is now deceased but who had been living in the camp at the time, had given a statement to Gardaí that he saw James Brady frazzled with his hands in his pockets. 
uh, while the assault was taking place and that he saw James Brady say they needed to call the emergency services. Um, so, like I say, there will be a number of different witness accounts. There are expected to be a couple of dozen witnesses maybe called in total. Yeah. And it, it's likely to be an upsetting case. And it was said, it was the jury war warned of it yesterday that this, this will be an upsetting case. And, and then uh, one juror, in fact, actually withdrew after being sworn in um, because yeah. they, they simply felt that, that it, it could be too much for them over the two to three weeks. Yeah. What you're reporting on in both the uh, papers today and indeed with us this morning is the opening uh, statement by Sean Langford, who's the counsel for the prosecution. So this is the evidence which she will bring. We haven't actually heard any mm. evidence as yet. This is just an outline of what the prosecution will bring. So they say two and a half to three weeks. Yeah, exactly that. And, and that's because of the... the I, I believe they, they actually expect maybe in terms of witnesses to be called, it, it could reach as many as, as 50. Now, that's not just in terms of witnesses, that's also in terms of maybe different emergency personnel. Yeah. So yes, yesterday we heard a little bit of evidence from uh, Gardy who had taken drone photos of the area. And that's just because the trial is taking place out of town, if you like. Uh, it's taking place in Waterford. So they want to just try to set the scene and give the jurors an idea of the Mardike Walk area in, in Cork. So they, it, it, it's likely to, to take, uh, they, they, they believe, two and a half weeks at minimum, but likely it'll be going in three weeks. Yeah, yeah. A lot of that technical evidence at the opening of a trial can be quite tedious to cover as a <laughs> reporter. So my, my thoughts are with you on that on that score, <laughs> Owen, but it'll be an upsetting one. And perhaps you, you'd join us again over the course of the couple of weeks to keep people up to date on it because this was a desperately upsetting case at the time. Timmy was very much liked and very popular around town and very well known. And indeed, I remember people calling in here at the time to say they'd known him and the little stories about him and he'd been a damn good chef by, by all accounts in his time so we might catch up again Owen thank you very much Owen Dalton uh, freelance reporter in Waterford um, on the murder case the case of James Brady age 28 accused of the murder in Cork in October 2019 of Timmy Harahan there is another man on trial but we are not legally permitted to name that man at this point in time. 0818 96 96 96. We have a desperate shortage of doctors, so much so that existing practices now are not taking on new patients. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. You know, I've got the best tunes on the radio in the afternoon in Cork. That's a guarantee. You never know which A-list celebrities will be calling through. Matthew McConaughey. Anytime he's around, whether it's personally or creatively, it uh, does up the stakes. It makes the party that much more fun. Amazing competitions too. Just some of the reasons you need to listen in. All with me, all with listen to you up to get. Get me on in work, in the car, or ask your smart speaker to <laughs> play Cork's 96 FM. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch. Midday to 4pm on Cork's 96 FM. Hearing a lot lately about a shortage of GPs and people contacting us to say they can't get registered with a GP practice. It happens all the time, particularly people you know, new to Cork who might have moved here trying to get their names onto a GP practice. It, it can be very difficult because there is a shortage of doctors. Dr. Mary Favier, good morning. 
Good morning. We do have a shortage of GPs, Mary. Now, it's not a new thing, but it's been exacerbated over the last couple of years. Yes, we've never had enough GPs. Uh, there's been a complete underfunding and under-resourcing of general practice long-standing. So we, for instance, have about a third less GPs than in the UK per population. We need about a thousand extra. We have three and a half thousand now to, to, to catch up. But it's really starting to pinch now because we've got an increase in population. We've just gone over the 500. Uh, the, five, the five million, I should say. We've got an increase in our elderly population and we've got a significant number of GPs retiring and going to retire. 700 of our 3,500 are going to retire in the next five years. So we've got some significant challenges coming down the track. And it's, it's evidence in our practice. I work, work in Fernery Fair Hill, and we haven't actually taken a new patient in our practice for seven years. Complete families only, that's all, but nobody knew. So yeah. quite a challenge. Yeah. Like GP, being a GP, Mary, is a, a specialty in itself, isn't it? And requires further study after college. Is it an unpopular line of work or is there some reason why people don't go down that route? I think we people know we've got a, an issue with recruitment across all the health services. Uh, general practice is a very popular type of training, but it is an, an, a higher specialist training and there's exams at the end of it. Uh, but there has been growth underfunding and the, the FEMP cuts people would have heard of during the, the recession with financial measures cut one third of funding to general practice. Very short sighted because it completely underfunded it. So it wasn't an attractive career. People trained but left the country. Now things are a bit better. There has been a decrease in immigration, but the, the reality is we just sheer don't have enough. Mm-hmm. And all health policy like Solange Care is to, is to move more and more of our hospital work into the community, which is entirely appropriate because yeah. we know that if you have a general practitioner and you have contact continuity of care, i.e. you see roughly the same person most of the time, your outcomes are much better. Whether it's from heart disease through to dementia, you'll do much better and live longer with better quality of life. So we have a lot of challenges. Government after government, of course, has told us that primary care, we must boost primary care and they opened all these glossy, shiny centres, but without GPs to staff them, they're just big empty buildings for the most part. Indeed, they look very good, but since some of them have literally nobody in them, and it's not just GPs, we need more practice nurses, they need to be trained, they need to be retained, they're a really vital part of how general practice functions. We, we People will know, they go to them from everything, from childhood immunizations, for cervical smears, for blood taking, for management of chronic disease, so very important part. The, so general practice has a lot of challenges and people will, will feel it. They can't get a GP, they wait longer for an appointment. I mean, patients wait on average for me one to two weeks and we always keep some slots urgent but for routine it can take that long. About how many medical students will graduate per year, Mary, and how many of them go into or look to go into GP practice? So we've had an increase in GP training. Uh, We've gone from 190 training places per year three years ago to 205 starting this year. And we get a fantastic number of applicants. It's the most popular training scheme in the country. But in actual fact, we need the best part of 300 trainees per year because we need 2,000 GPs now. And so there's a lot of resources need to go into GP training. But to do that, we, we need to have you know, particular training practices. So we're a training practice ourselves. I'm the GP trainer there. And there's a number of them across Cork City. Cork has a very good training scheme, but, but we need more. And, and there is going to need to be funding for that. And so, so change has to happen. And you know, when, when 
people are approaching their second last and last year of medical school, I mean, be, before they go in to do their, their internship in, in whatever hospital they go to, w- would they be, for want of a better term, canvassed by, by GP practices or by the GP sector to say, look, would you come and, come and join our sector? Do we, you know, we'd like, we, we, you know, we're always looking for GPs. Yes, we have no trouble with the number of people applying. We've really? th- if three applicants for every place. Oh, it's really? that okay. we don't have it's enough training places. places. Right, right, right. It's more places. And we get the highest caliber of applicants, the people who are coming first in their classes, fantastic young people. Yeah, yeah. But we literally don't have enough places to train them. Mm-hmm. And until we do that, and we need a really rapid change in that, we're going to have this challenge. Mm-hmm. And it's so important for people to be, particularly as we see having come through COVID, there's a lot of pent-up demand of non COVID illness. And we would ask people to, to even hearing all this negative stuff about accessing your GP, yeah. if they've got symptoms of concern, to really make sure they re- they ring. That niggly little cough, the niggly pain, the rash, the change in the lump or bump needs to be seen and we will prioritise that. Sure. Just on the, the number of training places as you point out, like I understand that most GP practices, if not all, they're all self-employed private businesses. So so who needs to fund the places? Is it the state? The Yes, the state funds it. The state funds all medical training in the country. So funds it for all the hospital training doctors, fund, funds it in public health and funds it in general practice. So they, they fund the, the training doctor to come and, and train through the hospital system because they need to do things like pediatrics, they need to do psychiatry and then fund them to come into general practices. They do a full two years in, a, in two different GP practices to, to get their experience because it's a very subtle thing how you, you learn to, to assess a patient over a number of different visits. And it's completely different to hospital medicine where you see a person once, you may never see them again. You see them for an episode of illness where we we're, we see people, we're doctors for life, we're cradled mm. to the grave mm. and we follow the person. And we, we so often, as in, in my area, I know three generations of the one family I know all their histories. I know how they intertwine with each other. I know what's important in their lives. And they come to learn to trust me as the GP, but also us as a practice, and that we will look out for them, that we'll have their back. And that's the continuity of care you get in general practice. And it really is a problem if we start to lose that because our health outcomes will, will be lower. Well, you hear of people, many people, particularly elderly people, are with their doctor for 30 years and more. Indeed, and I and I as a GP in 20, for 25 years in, in Far and Reef, I know that. And I know when somebody makes an appointment with me, I'll say, um, they're probably anxious or most unlike them to, to you know, need to be seen. Or indeed, most unlike them not to turn up. We will follow that up, give them a call. Why haven't they arrived? And so you get to know your patients very well. You get to know the traumas that have happened in them. You get to know the highs and the lows. Mm. You, you get to know the wonderful things that go on in people's lives. It's a complete privilege to be a GP and it's one of the reasons we love it to, because it, we, it is an honour to be able to see this intimate details of people's lives and work with them and travel with them on the journey. Phone consultation has become a thing during the pandemic initially because people were discouraged from coming into to the practice. Is it continuing? Is it, is it sometimes now, Mary, the only way to, to, to stay in touch with somebody as a phone consultation? 
Sometimes we do a blend. We, we, we used to do a lot of telephone work during the height of COVID, but now we are trying to see as many people face-to-face as possible. And it's about 80% in person, about 20% on the phone. There are some things that do very well on the phone that you can quickly you know, sort out or follow up. But there are many things require somebody to sit in front of you. Everything from the very obvious things like what does a rash look like, but more to pick up the subtle hints of the person who you, you're, in, you're they're sitting down, you say, and how are things... And the way they say, Usher, all right, grand. And you can hear that that's not yeah. all right or yeah. grand. And that is almost impossible on the, on the phone. You pick up, you can't get the nonverbal cues of the teenager who's looking at the ground and shuffling and doesn't look comfortable and needs to be seen you know, for a more detailed discussion. Mm-hmm. So in person is, is the gold standard and we need to hold on to it. But telephone is important to just sometimes just move the sheer volume of work. One of the challenges has been is that the working day has just got longer and longer and longer. And there is only a limit to how much any individual GP or practice nurse can do. So now we've we've put a cap on it. And that's why people are starting to feel the squeeze, unfortunately. But otherwise, we'll have GPs retiring because of burnout. And and with COVID has pushes people into early retirement. And we don't want that. Yesterday, I was talking to Chris Luke about the overcrowding in CUH and we were going through the reasons why that happens could part of it be the fact that South Dock is the only GP that some people have access to right now and South Dock tends to, because they don't know the patient, tends to refer people forward to CUH so the shortage of GPs is adding to the problems in the hospitals I think the shortage of GP is adding to problems everywhere. The emergency department crowding is adding to the problems in general practice because we have patients who literally will not go to the emergency department, even though you're trying to convince them. But South Dock is really, really busy and is unfortunately acting as an overflow for general practice. I was working in South Dock last Saturday morning. It was it was busy. And there are a certain number of patients who are calling about things that could have been seen routinely during the week. But to be fair to patients, they're, they're calling because they're concerned, they're calling because they're anxious mm. and the vast majority of patients seen in South Dock are sorted out on the day and or transferred back to their GP you know, for Monday or Tuesday morning. Yeah. A certain number go to hospital and yes, inevitably there's a higher number because the advantage for me as a GP of 25 years is I know people in terms of that chest pain to me. I know that they've had that last week, the week before and every day for the last two years and it's been fully investigated. Yeah. So I can say, look, we'll just give that a day or two call me again. Whereas in South Dock, the doctor is not going to have the benefit of all that knowledge, doesn't know that this is a long-standing complaint and does the safe thing, the entirely appropriate thing, which is to send them to the emergency department. And inevitably that takes many hours then and multiples of investigations and costs to sort out. Lastly, Mary, if there, and we do, we get messages a couple of times a week from people who, and particularly, as I said before, new arrivals in Cork, um, they can't get registered. What advice would you have it's very difficult. There is effectively no no service for them by day if they can't find a general practitioner. They are left using the South Dock out of our services, the urgent care services, and indeed the emergency departments, which we'd really try to discourage. And it's not good health care. What we'd be asking people is to, to put pressure on their politicians and all their representatives say, we need this sorted. It needs to be sorted now. We need a task force on general practice manpower. To, to really put in place a plan with the, with really significant resourcing and to look at recruitment and retention. Um, but for the individual, it, it's very, very difficult. They're left knocking on doors and they're, they're, 
they can't move even. So I've had patients, for instance, move to East Cork and still attend me because they can't get another general practitioner. So it's very difficult. Would you describe it as an emergency in general practice? Indeed, I'm very slow to you know, use the words crisis and emergency because they get overused, but but it's a reality. And the concern we have is it's only going to get worse. And with an aging population and a movement of a lot of medical care into the community, it, you, it, it's really going to cause challenges. And for people who are carers of elderly family or those with significant needs, they're starting to feel it too, that they can't get seen on the same day or the next day as they would have before. And they're now waiting a number of days or a week. And that, that is not good for healthcare and it's not good for, for an agile service that, that provides appropriate care at the appropriate time. Okay, Dr. Favier, thank you very much. Dr. Mary Favier, who's a GP on the north side of the city. Thank you. 0818 96 96 96. Are you having trouble registering, finding yourself a GP? Um, let, let us know, but we don't have a whole pile of solutions for you. As she said, South Dock is getting overwhelmed with people who simply have nowhere else to go. So the urgent care centre is getting overwhelmed with people who have nowhere else to go. And it all leads to the same thing as I was talking to Chris Luke about yesterday, that people have no primary care to go to, so they end up in hospital, a place they shouldn't be in the first place because they're neither an accident nor an emergency. They're just sick, but they've no doctor. 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join me on Sunday morning when we take a look at what's happening in the arts in Cork and help you plan some great nights out at the theatre or see the latest films on release, catch a brilliant music gig or find the perfect book to get stuck into. The Arts House. Sunday mornings 8 to 10 with Griffin's Potatoes. Make the perfect chip at home with their chipping potatoes. Once you taste them, you'll be back for more. Now in store. Corks 96FM. Six weeks today will be St. Patrick's Day, 42 days from now. The announcement comes overnight from City Council that we will have a St. Patrick's Day. And it's going to be a four-day festival because we'll have the Thursday, obviously, off. The Friday is a new public holiday and then Saturday and Sunday. So a lot of people are gearing up to make a big weekend of it. But the news... The best news of all is that the parade will be back. Lord Mayor Colm Kelleher joins me. Good morning, Colm. Good morning, PJ. How are oh, you? Always great to have good news. It's as as we've, we've been lacking it for a while, haven't we? Mm-hmm. So, one well, o'clock, all going well, one o'clock on the traditional route and all that. One o'clock uh, on Thursday, March 17th, um, obviously subject to public health guidance as time progresses. Um, but no, look, we're, we're, we're very excited in City Hall. It's been absent for the last two years. Initially, when COVID hit in 2020, March 2020, the incumbents in the Lord Mayor's office at the time, Dr. John, um, you know, made the tough call to cancel that parade for 2020, you know, about a week after 
or a week prior to it, you know, we had the, the, the NT shook addressing us from uh, the United States that things were going to close down and it was kind of a shock to the system. Um, fast forward two years and uh, we, we missed last year's one, obviously, um, but it's great. We're going to have a Patrick's Day parade, the traditional route, um, and I would implore anyone that wants to get involved in the city's parade this year to contact the Community Culture and Placemaking Directive in City Hall um, and get actively involved, whether it's a dance troupe, whether it's a gymnastics club, whether it's an arts group or anything, the more the merrier because mm. we will have, as I said, a, a bumper long weekend. Um, it'll be a four day festival. We have the, the additional public holiday this year. Um, and uh, yeah, it's good. I'm really, really looking forward to it. Yeah. By all accounts, and I, I see in the echo this morning, Philip Gillivan from the Shelbourne says there's a great buzz about the, the long weekend and the, out of the Kingsley the hotel is booking up fast and I think the general sense around town is that that will be the start of hopefully the recovery for hospitality and accommodation in the city. Completely. Look, obviously pre-COVID the city was on uh, the crest of a wave in relation to investment, in relation to, you know, tourism, hospitality. Obviously the hospitality section took a massive hit during COVID. They've been detrimentally affected more so than any other industry. Um, And it's great to see now the, you know, hotels and the venues, you know, booking acts and stuff like that. And, you know, we will have, you know, a normal St. Patrick's weekend, a particularly long one, which I think, you know, is kind of uh, ironic because uh, we have a four-day bumper weekend, which is probably making up for the two years we missed in all reality, you know? Yeah. But well, no, no, it's, uh, great. it's great. Personally, uh, you know, how will it feel to, to sit up there in the reviewing stand yourself? I mean, I'm sure as anyone sitting in the office of Lord Mayor, it's it's the highest honour the city can bestow on a, on a public representative is to elect them Lord Mayor. And we know that. But how will it feel to you to sit there as Lord Mayor? It's something that I'm actually looking very forward to, PJ, if I'm to be honest with you. Many, many, many moons ago, I was a three-star gunner in the 8 FAR, 2nd Battery, uh, artillery in the FCA, and we paraded in the um, in the Patrick's Day Parade. And we were in, it was the first year that the FCA were given their DPMs, which was the, um, which is the military camouflage uniform prior to that. We had the green khakis, and um, we were given the Steyr rifles, and we marched down South Mall. And I always remember looking up at the reviewing stand and uh, you know, seeing the Lord Mayor there in the in the chains and in the robes, um, and you know, it's always something that you know I've I've inspired to do myself. But it'll be a massive honour, and uh, you, you know, I'll hopefully you, you, you have to swing by Ballancolic as well. Though have they, they'll have their own parade. Are you organising the times so you can fit both in? Well, traditionally, Ballancolic would be three o'clock. So hopefully, Finbar and uh, will, will get me out to Ballancolic soon after the parade. No better boy. Uh, in the city. No better no boy. Better boy. <laughs> like, uh, no Lord better Mayor, boy. We'll, and we look forward. We we'll look forward to it. We'll see you on the day. Hopefully, uh, Lord Mayor of Cork, Councillor Colum Kelleher. The St Patrick's Day parade is back. Six weeks today after two years off. How cool is that? And it's going to be a great weekend. I'm talking to people there. Uh, in the last few days around town in terms of hospitality and business and their soul. They're, they're kind of still talking with the fingers crossed and that everything works out well, but so hopeful that it all goes ahead. 0818 Now, Ricky, there are hundreds of kids at the moment out as close contacts or indeed they have COVID and they're home for a few days. And Ricky, your daughter is a close contact, and there is the problem. Good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good, good. Tell me the story. 
Man. So uh, I suppose so we're coming from PJs that my, my daughter has missed she's in sixth class in primary school and she hasn't missed a day in school since she started in primary school. Right. And I suppose she was looking forward to a couple of years ago there there was a couple of girls in Carrigaline that got certain awards that were involved in the, 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 the club below and I suppose it kind of set it in her mind that she was going to achieve this award as well, you know. Yeah. Um, and as I say, I hadn't missed a day and then last week got the runny nose not sick, PJ. I couldn't say she was sick, and under normal circumstances, certainly wouldn't have kept her home from school. Um, but we did the test just to, to, to follow the guidelines, and she was positive for COVID. So she obviously couldn't go to school in because she had tested positive. So what I'm saying is that while she was, if COVID wasn't there, she wouldn't have missed any school. So like she stayed out of school to follow government guidelines. So is that now going to cost her her award? Do mm. they still you know, give out those awards? No, they do absolutely. Yeah, they do. I'm like she has. She, she gets an, an attendance certificate. She has one for every year she's been in school, but they still do do give out the the, the awards at the end of the, the the primary school. Then you know what I mean for the continuous attendance. Yeah, and like she was, a, she wasn't in the bed or she wasn't on the PlayStation. She was at home well, doing she, her schoolwork. Absolutely, as I'm saying, she she followed up. So they they, they have been. And I can't think of the name, but no, the app that they use for school yeah. is they put the homework up and so she used that every day and she did the homework every day, you know what I mean? She kept up with the schoolwork. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And I like I saw PJ like the option isn't there, like when they were out of school, when they the schools closed, the option was there to log on and do lessons online, you know what I mean? That yeah. they had, but I'm like, while the schools are no back in attendance, that option isn't there for her. Which she would have done if it, if, if if that option was there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what I'm saying, I suppose PJ, my thing is that she was available to go to school. She stayed out because of a, a government directive, mm. Mm. and because she followed that, is she to lose out on her on her award? Right, right. No, I've requested information. I I asked the, the Department of Education. No, I did get a reply, PJ, but the reply was, you know, one of these generic things where when the information is available, we. And Ricky, sorry, yeah. is it is it the department that makes the award, or is it the individual school? Um, no, it's it's actually um, my understanding is that the department makes it so, so the school gives the certificate attendance every year. But my my understanding, and I I I want the correction on this, PJ. But I think it's the Department of Education makes the award in for okay. the for the long term ones. Okay, it would, it would mean a lot to her, Ricky. We'll see what people think about that. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Thanks for that. So look. I didn't even know they still do these award certs and are these attendance certs. And there's there's foreign against them and people will argue foreign against them. But in this particular case, Ricky's daughter is due to get an, a cert this year for never missing a day's primary school. Never. And because she's got a case of COVID, very mild, bit of a runny nose, not at all sick, was able to do all her exercises and lessons at home. She'll now be absent for a few days. He would have sent her to school because she was certainly not sick enough to be home under normal circumstances. But these are not those circumstances. So does Ricky have a point? Should his daughter still be entitled to get her cert for her full attendance at primary school? Assuming that she gets to to May or June um, without missing more time. But she's out when she could well be in there, he says, She's out because of the restrictions. She's got COVID. She's nothing like sick, but she's at home. And as a result of that, she may be marked absent and could miss 
her attendance award. Uh, Geraldine says she should be entitled to her award. She's not at home. It's not her fault she's at home. John and Cove, yeah, she should be given the cert. Our politicians get fully paid for non-attendance during the pandemic or showing up to alternative venues and falling asleep. <laughs> Thank you, John. Uh, give that girl her cert so well-deserved, says another one. Well, Antoinette says, personally, I think these awards should be done away with. Schools have no consideration for children who are sick or disabled or who need to take time off, which is another angle on the story. 0818969696. Irish Rail has received reports that people are openly snorting cocaine on trains or taking ketamine and and other drugs. They had uh, 277 complaints of antisocial behaviour in 2021, which was up from 2020. And now, Dermot O'Leary from the National Bus and Rail Union, you've been saying for quite some time that we need a, a transport police. And I guarantee you, when I talk to you, people will ring up about antisocial behaviour on the trains locally here and the Cork Dublin train, things they've seen. But you're getting nowhere with these calls for transport police. Good morning. Yeah, maybe it's, it's morning, PJ. Maybe it's the fact that I'm calling for it as opposed to anybody else. I'm not too sure. You may get paranoid me old age, but certainly we have been campaigning for quite a while. And look, what you described there at the outset is a, a, a normal day at the office, or an abnormal day at the office for our frontline members, unfortunately. Uh, and I suppose you talk about people ringing up. Uh, I'm looking at the constituency profile uh, and look at the political arena in particular, PJ. I don't think there's a stronger representation at government at cabinet level than there is in the Coxo Central, mm-hmm. for example. And if those people do not realise or maybe constituents need to talk to these people directly, because it is in the political arena that decisions are made around dedicated Garda public transport divisions. And quite an amount of politicians from all parties and non-PJ have been you know, out on social media and have been commenting on, on the media in general that they do support the idea. But then when you talk to them privately, they tell you that the Garda commissioner doesn't support that concept. Well, no, PJ, I didn't elect a, a Garda commissioner. I'm sure you didn't either. We elect politicians to legislate. And this issue uh, of antisocial behaviour has gone so beyond uh, what would be even deemed to be acceptable, and none is. Uh, that's something has to give in this space. And I will admit that the dedicated Garda Public Transport Division won't you know, solve all the issues, but it certainly will reduce the amount of exposure that our members have in relation to antisocial behaviour. And drug taking uh, and people carrying drugs on the Cork Dublin line in particular mm. uh, is a problem that we've identified for a long time as well. And would you be talking about, say, Dermot, a guard or guards posted on every run up and down to Dublin using that route things now. Oh, well, that wouldn't be... That, that's not possible, PJ, obviously. I mean, yeah. and look, the countries that have... Uh, some people, some people think that that's dedicated. what you mean, you know? I know, look, I mean, that, that the people that would think that, well, certain people that would think that would, would say that just to, you know, to, to reduce, uh, you know, the, the call for, for the dedicated kind of transport division. The fact that it would exist, as it does in other countries, uh, policing resource, uh, would encourage uh, or discourage people from engaging in some of the behaviour. Of course, some of the high-level crime, PJ, is a societal issue. I mean, the drug taking, the drug, and, and you know, people carrying drugs on trains, uh, that's something that's, you know, a societal issue. But certainly in terms of some of the, the verbal abuse and physical abuses, threats of, you know, physical assault and in some cases on female staff members, threats of rape. Uh, we believe a lot of that is down to the fact that the, the, the people that are 
carrying out these types of, or that type of behaviour uh, are doing with abandon and um, you know without the fear of sanction and I'm sure that if people realised that they could get caught and engage in this type of behaviour end up in court with a conviction I'm sure they might think twice before engaging this type of behaviour mm-hmm. so look I mean our people are frustrated we have a, a ballot for industrial action at Irish Rail which is with us since November right. uh, December in fact and we're meeting uh, in the National Executive Council of World Trade Union meeting in February to decide if the interventions of the company that is Irish Rail over the last while and there's more interventions due today I believe in terms of ramping up security and look whilst I personally believe security itself doesn't work because it doesn't have the power of attention and the rest then there might be uh, the pressure is building on us to look yeah. at that industrial relations mandate because of an unsafe work environment so, and so again you as have, I said before you have, sorry, you, you have a mandate you have a ballot mandating industrial action if if you can't get movement on this so so our, well our, just just be clear just sorry, Capiz, just to be clear, the, the, the industrial relations mandate is against Irish Rail for an unsafe work environment. The campaign for a, a dedicated Gallup Transport Division is separate, of course. Right, right. But in terms of the unsafe working environment, I mean, are, are we looking at the prospect of 2022 being affected by industrial action on the trains if we don't get movement? Well, well, look, I suppose my own people would accuse me of prevaricating on, 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 on triggering the industrial relations mandate because we have been endeavouring to try and get the company, you know, to, to, to ramp up, yeah. you know, some type of security for some of the certain trains, the hotspots, if you like, right? So I, the pressure is building so much that the 17th of February is D-Day for us in terms of our National Executive Council and they have a decision to make in relation whether to prosecute the industrial action. But of course, at that stage, uh, we'd have to make an assessment of yeah. the interventions no, of the that, company. That's, that's, look, that's, two weeks say, to, PJ, that's two weeks today. So two weeks, two weeks today, uh, you, you're effectively your patience is likely to run out. The union's patience is likely to run out, and you'll be looking at what the company has done to to alleviate the situation. And what do you think the company is doing? I mean, have you have you? We have indeed. Look, we've been talking to the company and we had again last week and we're actually expecting some communication later today uh, and obviously that'll get out into the into the public domain, no problem with that. Uh, and, and we'll see what that says. But again, look, I won't be deciding uh, what are the frustration levels uh, that I have. The, I won't be deciding on the action. Obviously, the people on the front line will be no. putting the pressure on us. And it, it's quite possible, yeah, to answer your question from a couple of minutes ago, it's quite possible there will be industrial action on our railways in response to this issue sometime this year. I was I'm hoping that it won't be the case, but if the evidence for the last few years, and, and remember the antisocial behaviour is building year on year, even through COVID, the evidence is stacking up that, and, and we probably would be left with no option but to engage in industrial action as much as that's going to discommode people that are using trains on a regular basis. We have a mandate, says you, and we're not afraid to use it if we have to. Well, I think our history shows that uh, you know when we when we you know ha- have to we, it is PJ when we have to do what we have to do to represent frontline workers and their concerns. Sometimes we have no choice because people don't listen to us. And I go back to what I said at the very start of the interview, PJ. If you don't mind, there is a political dimension to this, and people need really to focus in on the people that they elect to govern and they elect to legislate, and they are the people that can help in a major way uh, towards de- this dedicated Gary Power Transport Division, which will we believe majorly assist uh, in persuading people. Not to engage in the same behaviour. Yeah. Well, we've had a call now, Dermot, just before I let you go from uh, someone who um, says they work on the buses and said, I can't come on the air myself. But twice in the past week, we've had to stop our bus because a fella passed out with a needle in his arm. It's every bit as bad on the buses. Could you ask Dermot about that before he goes off the air? 
Oh, certainly, and I mean, the people that, you know, my representatives that operate in, in bus here, and indeed Dublin Bus in the capital, they, they, they know full well that the campaign includes uh, buses and indeed includes trams and includes all modes of public transport. And we've been highlighting the issue in relation to buses for quite a while now. And again, I was on with you a couple of years ago when that incident in Halloween in Carrigan yes, yes, yes. where a lady driver was threatened and lots of other incidents. So we're very much focused uh, on the, the whole uh, public transport arena. But you, the call from yourselves this morning was in relation to figures that was given uh, by Irish Rail so it's in that connection and talk. But certainly, in terms of the buses, we have been very, very strong, very, very vocal in advocating that something needs to give in that space as well. All right, Dermot, thank you very much. Dermot O'Leary, the National Bus and Rail Union. So two weeks today, what he's telling us now, two weeks today, unless there's something on the table from the company as to what it's going to do about antisocial behaviour, like people openly snorting cocaine and perhaps like fellas getting, shooting up on the buses and stuff like that. There's a mandate there for industrial action and they're not afraid to use it. 0818 96 96 96. Have you seen antisocial behaviour yourself on, on public transport of late? Tell us about it. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Wayne Hilton. Wayne Hilton. The Weekend. On Cork's 96FM. Join me Saturday mornings from 10. I've got four hours of the best music mix. Check out the Cork Weekend survey. Have a go at the Wayne teaser question. There's the latest celebrity goss. A look at what's happening around town. And we'll keep you up to date with all your essential Cork news. Wayne Hilton. Saturdays, 10 a.m. With Newmarket Motors Volkswagen. Where you can test drive the full Volkswagen range. Including the all-electric ID3 and ID4. See newmarketvolkswagen.ie. On Cork's 96FM. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Do you know something, something that never ceases to put a smile on my face is when people go to the trouble of putting something nice in the post to you. I'm very grateful to the lovely people from Doris. Doris Tidy Towns in particular to Una who went to the trouble of sending me a note to tell me how much they all enjoy the showdown in Doris and to send me a copy of a most stunningly beautiful calendar of arts, crafts and food produce from the Wintervorda Peninsula and from Dunbeacon. It is stunning. It features craft and food and there are literally hundreds of photographs in it. It's gorgeous. It's a calendar for 2022 and all sales and all proceeds from the sale of the calendar are going to support the work of Doris Tidy Towns. Thank you Una for sending me that. It's a most gorgeous calendar and I wish everybody well with that fundraiser for Doris Tidy Towns. So, they can get the guards to arrest people for not wearing a mask but can't get anyone to stop people snorting drugs and threatening staff on the train. There aren't that many arrests now in reality for people not wearing masks at all but I do get your to get your point on school awards <laughs> a lot of sympathy for Ricky's daughter 
who hasn't missed a day in primary school, but now because she has a very mild dose of COVID, she's out for a few days, she's attending her lessons at home and doing her homework at home and all of that, but she's going to be marked absent and she's going to miss her award for full unbroken attendance at primary school. And while there's lots of people who support her and think, look, that shouldn't come against her, others quite a number of people actually thinking it's about time that we did away with those attendance awards. Ashling says they need to be done away with. All they do is teach children that looking after your health isn't important. No kid who's out with COVID should be marked absent anyway. Stuart says people are suddenly learning what life is like for disabled people all the time, every year, forever. If you don't like it, change the system. Disabled people are routinely excluded from 100% attendance educational continuity, access to toilets and buildings, etc, etc, etc. Public health and his own daughter's health are more important than one certificate. I know that the kid, to the kid, it's very important, but with the right approach and explanation, her disappointment won't be that much. If it's so important to them, maybe he can reward her himself with something. Give the child her cert. If she had gone to school and infected everyone, including the teacher, she'd have got it. She was doing the right thing and now misses out. Typical of Ireland. What has Norma Foley got to say? But then, if someone misses a day, then they don't have full attendance. Most children that miss school do so for a reason, not because they want to. Every child's reason is genuine. I, I was asking, Ricky, do they still do these attendance certs? I, I didn't think they did. I thought some schools had done away with them, but they clearly still do. 0818 96 96 96. I saw this discussion on social media, it, it was on both Instagram and Twitter, uh, about women who choose not to have children. And some people tend to look at them shall we say, in a disparaging way. You choose not to have children. Why would you do that? Why why on earth would you do that? And some people look at a woman who chooses not to have children in a kind of a lesser way. Um, and it particularly enraged, it enraged you, Mary Jane, and you, you took to Twitter to, to, to say one of the things that boils your blood is people that judge you for not having kids. Good morning. Good morning. How are you, PJ? Good, good. Um, well, yes, like, okay, so the first, first of all, I mean, you were the first person that I ever spoke to when I lost a baby um, a, f- a few years ago um, on radio about, you know, infant loss and, you know, the impact that that had. And that was, you know, nine years ago now. Um, and like, so I, I've been very public about that in the first instance. And then after that, I, you know, for health reasons and different things, I, you know, you make a decision not to have children. And people, you know, I think, first of all, one of the things that annoys me is that people assume that I can't. I could have if I wanted to. I could have tried again after a year. It was safe. The doctors said I could have done it. But I just, I made a decision not to. Mm. And the other thing is that, like, there's two people in a decision as well also to have a, a child. Like, it can't just be one person. But from my perspective, I suppose what enrages me now is that people assume that because maybe of my career or because of um, my social life or that I'm being selfish, you know, not having children. I actually think it's the most selfish thing you can do to have a child if you're not 100 percent sure that, that, you know, it's a really, really big undertaking. And like you have 
your kids and you know PJ yourself as a dad mm. it's a massive undertaking oh, yeah. and like I have I have four brothers and I have one sister and they all have kids and actually some of their kids now have kids so I'm getting into the grand aunt stage mm. um, and um, like it's it's a massive 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 undertaking and I think like you know if you're in a room full and I was saying this to Fiona if you're if you were in a room full of people and there's men and women it's always the women that get asked asked do they have children nobody bats an eyelid if a man doesn't have a child mm-hmm. you know they'll just assume but I think they think that women that don't have children um that there's something wrong with you like that that's what we're born to do yeah and it almost as if it's a choice you're not entitled to make yes exactly nearly like there's something wrong with you if you don't want to have a child or if you, you know, if you don't have a child. And then you have to take in the other factors, um, which which wouldn't have been an issue for me. But like there are lots of people um, that are struggling. And like I know um, so many couples that have had IVF, you know, in se- you know, not in secret, but, you know, they've started their journey and it's cost them a lot of money. And, you know, they, they at, at the end of it, it didn't result in a baby. So like it's it's OK to say you want a baby, but it's not OK to say you don't want one. That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. Like you made that choice, Mary Jane, and we did talk about what happened. Um, yeah. I take it it wasn't an easy choice. No, it's not an easy choice. And, I, you know, I, I think it's something that, like, as a particularly as a woman and as somebody who is, like, rel- like I don't think I'm massively maternal and my family would tell you that I'm not maternal. Like, kids like me and I like kids. Um, but I think as well, like, I would have looked after my mum and dad when they were sick, you know, as a young adult. Mm-hmm. I lost my parents when I was quite young. So I think I did a lot of that minding and stuff of my parents, does that make sense? Of course. And when I got to, you know, an adult age, but like I think, like I think it's just it it's it just enrages me, and like it, it you know, for me, I don't find it hurtful anymore. You, I used to find it really hurtful, mm. and now I just feel like, why can't people just keep their mouth shut? I mean, if somebody has six children, um, people are going to be commenting as well. What are you having six children for? So you're, da- you know, you're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. In mm. so many ways. Yeah, yeah. I, I must say, I, I, I saw your post, and I seen the. There was one post in particular that I felt, I felt furious, even as a man looking at it, going, yeah. "What?" Someone said, "What are you even here for?" Someone actually went, "What are you her. even here for if you're not having a baby?" What kind yeah, of, that's it. What, what Stone Age cave did you crawl out of in 2020? Well, this is it. And that's, and that's exactly, that's a, a massive, massive problem for, um, you know, that they, they think that that's what, that's what women are put on the earth for. That's a patriarchal thing, you know. And that guy wasn't a, an old fella either saying that he was no. a young enough guy, you know. Yes, yeah. Um, I think old, I, I would think know, older men have a, an awful lot more more sympathy if if sympathy is the word I or think empathy. So, I think so, and I think like I think older men as well have come um, from like maybe a generation where like say men you know of my age maybe in their forties or fifties have come from a generation where they understand like where they would have seen struggles and maybe where people couldn't have babies. Um, but it, like you'll get you'll get a lot of then the older generation again say you know in their in their late fifties sixties who'll just come straight out and say it to you yeah. why don't you why don't you have children um, and I can't remember where I was recently and somebody said it 
do you regret not having children? And I said, do you regret having them? Because it, that's the same question. It's the same question. You know, asking someone, do they regret having them or do they regret not having them? It's exactly the same question. That's a good point at which to stop it, Mary Jane, because that puts a full stop on it and ties it up in a little bow. Asking somebody, do you regret not having children? The question back is, do you regret having them? We'll talk again soon. Okay, have a good day, PJ. Bye. Cheers. Bye-bye. 0818 96 96 96. If you don't... What business is it of anybody's if someone decides they don't want or they choose not to have children? 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Now, the entertainment sector, like every other sector, uh, has opened up again. And as I said, I was in town on Saturday night. It was just great to hear live music and see crowds enjoying live music and live entertainment again. And one element of it is that theatres and other venues are gone from 50% to 100% capacity overnight, which means there are tickets out there for gigs that you mightn't have thought there were tickets out there for. One of the gigs is Tommy Fleming, who's in the Opera House this weekend. Hey, Tommy, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, PJ. Thanks a million for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely delighted. You you, you booked all this current tour with 50% capacity and a lot of people think that the venues are completely sold out. You're not the first <laughs> one to say, hang on, lads, we've tickets left. <laughs> We're not, do you know what? I mean, it's, it, the easiest thing in the world is to give out, in fairness. However, when they did announce that everything was lifted almost two weeks ago, tomorrow, two weeks ago, um, you know, we, we had sold everything at Christmas and it was kind of gone at 50%, so we had to cap it at 50%. Then all of a sudden, two weeks ago, um, the 50% that was capped has now opened up to another 50%. So I suppose essentially for some of the venues, we have to do, we have to do about eight weeks' work in two weeks. <laughs> but look, it, it is what it is. And luckily, thank God, we're, um, at nearly, we're nearly full on Saturday night. Um, and then Friday night, uh, tomorrow night, we're about to... Oh. Oh, he's, has he dropped off the line there, Fiona? See, is he there for me? Yeah, another gig's coming up in February. I think Christa Berg is in the Opera House in February and a few more acts. And when they booked tickets, they were at the old 50% capacity. And now it's back up to 100%. And a lot of artists and a lot of promoters are contacting people. I mean, listen, you would ever tell people the act is actually fully open now. We're dropping him to a line, are we? Line one, all right. Tommy, you're back on the phone. So so you booked out the tour and planned the tour at 50% capacity, but you're selling well anyway. We're selling good, thank God, PJ. Do you know what I mean? I mean, at the end of the day, we're not, we're, it's not going to be what it was in 2018 and 19 at all. We're still kind of, we're still finding our feet, if that makes sense, yeah. in, this, in this kind of coming out of the pandemic. And... Um, Look, it's great to be back, but there's tickets, to answer your question, there's plenty of tickets, there's good tickets available. All right, okay, okay. And tours, I'm only in, in touch with, with Phil Coulter the other day, um, and he was telling me that he's back in tour in March and April. Like, you, you guys have missed the buzz and indeed the income of touring for two years. Well, it's so important. It's so important. Um, 
not just in Ireland, obviously. Like when this when this hit in twenty twenty, I had just finished the full world tour nearly at that point on the second of March. I got out by the skin of my teeth, really, and we were locked. We were locked down on the twelfth of March, and then I. It was grand. It was kind of, and I don't mean it, I don't mean this in a good way or a bad way, but it was almost a novelty because nobody knew what lockdown was. Do you know what I mean? Nobody kind of gathered that they went off doing their banana bread and I was gardening like a lunatic and all of that. And then six months went by and then eight months went by and we came into a second lockdown. And in that time, I had lost two Australian tours, an American tour, the UK tour. And then last year, I lost the Irish tour. So it's kind of, now it's kind of hits home, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And it's been, I mean, obviously we're down income and we're down... But look, PJ, I've been 30 years doing this, thank God, and it hasn't been too bad. I've had a great 30 years. You know, if it was to finish in the morning, I'd survive. Um, but this, the ones that I really feel for are the artists that had just kind of started out yeah. and were kind of finding their feet. So they're the ones as well that really need your support. If they're, if you see a show for an act that you haven't been to, not just me, but all all artists, give them give them the twist and give them buy a ticket for them. You know, it's it's the best thing anyone can do. All right, listen, good luck with the tour and indeed particularly with the Opera House this weekend. Uh, Tommy Fleming uh, back on tour with lots of others. Yeah, I was in touch with uh, with with Phil by by email the other day. Uh, he's got a, a roundy birthday coming up, but we were just chatting about various things on email, and they're back on tour in uh, March and April, I think. And they'll be coming to Cork. A lot of gigs that were cancelled at Christmas and rescheduled them for Cork. It's the same with other, lots of other acts. And I think we're going to find our theatres and our music halls really packed over the next few months as gigs are, are rescheduled. And just looking particularly at the lineup for the marquee, the marquee is going to be huge this year because Peter, when he booked gigs in 2020, had to be cancelled. He rebooked some of them for last year. And they had to be cancelled again. Plus, he'd also booked stuff for last year that had to be cancelled. Plus, he'd also, because something like the Marquee books two and three years in advance. So, we're going to have a bumper crop of gigs at the Marquee this summer. And I know a lot of the Irish Independent or Musgrave Park gigs are back. The David Gray gig is back. The Lewis Capaldi gig is back. The Dermot Kennedy gigs are back, so far as I know. So we're going to have a bumper season of music and entertainment, which I really think is brilliant. Down in East Cork in Little Island, big day today, because Yusk, of whom you'll have heard, are opening their second Cork store. They opened one, was it last year or the year before? I've lost track of time, down in Yall. And the second one is opening in, in Little Island. A big day for you, Jenny Johnson, sales and marketing manager at Yusk. Morning, Jenny. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. Have you got crowds in there? We do. It's a fantastic morning here. There's a lot of balls around the place, so we're absolutely thrilled. Remind us where you are again. Uh, so this one is in, you're asking me now, the girl from Dublin, but <laughs> Eastgate Retail Park is where we are. Yeah, yeah. You've got There's a lot of business down there already. Um, cars and the ranges down there. and there's Exactly. We're close, and we're close to, to, to those stores there, Brilliant. yeah, in that same retail park. Brilliant. And you're open, is it open seven days? It's open seven days from 10 to 6 every single day and this evening because it's their first day we're there until 8 o'clock. All right, listen, good luck with it. Good luck with everything. Welcome to the, uh, closer to the city. We don't have to drive all the way down to Yall to visit Yusk. Thanks for that, uh, Janie. Uh, it's, it's creating some jobs down there as well, of course. Uh, how many staff have you taken on? 
There are 15 people in that store now. Um, probably room for a few more. So, um, yeah, if anyone's looking for a job in retail, there's a lot of career opportunities. Of course, we're expanding really fast, so that presents huge opportunities for people. Um, they can check out our, our career site on, on the youth.ie website. And any plans for any more stores? We do, we do. Later this month, we're opening um, another store in Thurlis. Um And next month, we'll add our second store in Limerick and lots more then still to come. Okay, busy, busy and exciting times for everybody at USC. Thanks, Jenny. Jenny Johnson is their sales and marketing manager. 0818 96 96 96. Uh, <laughs> as regards children <laughs> and whether you have children or not, there were many times, says this call, I felt like putting very white children in the pink pages in the Echo. Do you remember the sales pages? Was it Tuesday's Echo used to have them? You could buy and sell anything from a, a pigeon to a yacht. <laughs> uh, there were many times I felt like putting my children, says this caller, into the pink pages in the Echo. On public transport, just an observation, this on the phone, regarding Dermot O'Leary's call for a dedicated guard, the unit, I'd have to say I disagree. I think Inrod Aaron and its staff should not be letting louts onto the trains in the first place. Train staff have historically had the facility to phone ahead to have troublemakers taken off. I agreed it's more hazardous today, but they have to stop the louts boarding trains or buses. Uh, it's hard to disagree with you, caller. But can you just stand and observe in a train station and just see how easy it is or hard it is to stop someone getting on a train? Just see. 0818 96 96 96. Listening to the news there, extending... The, seriously, the news, I, I, wasn't, I hadn't expected this going to the news. Extending the school hours are a joke. According to this WhatsApp message, the kids should be taught important life skills in school, not via an extended working day, school day. School teaches you how to write an essay about a dream you had, but doesn't teach you how to do tax or apply for a mortgage. And it's unfair on the kids if they have to spend any longer in school. Yeah, that gist of that news story, I was doing, foostering around here doing something. The, the gist of it is that an extension to school hours, but not to be done for schoolwork, for other such stuff that might be useful for kids to learn. Morris, why are parents and kids so keen to get these attendance awards? What exactly do they do for the children who get them? Everybody today seems to be about credentialism and stamps of approval. And if we're to be really frank, it's the rat race to get ahead of the other fella. It should be completely removed from primary school. Kids should be kids and not have to worry about whether they get a merit badge or not. Jared says they discriminate, in fact, on grounds of health and are effect- effectively punishing school kids for getting sick. Not a whole pile of love in the room for attendance records at school. 0818 96 96 96. Right, let's find out more about the passport situation next. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael with an update on Cork's entertainment. West Cork Music is delighted to shine a light on West Cork's brightest talent through its latest Resound series. Among this year's exciting lineup of West Cork musicians are Molly O'Mahony, Eve Clegg, Brian Casey, Kate Liddell and Mike Ganey. The performances take place in venues throughout the region, including Bantry Museum and Baltimore Castle. Access all areas. There's a couple of great Irish hip-hop acts coming to Cypress Avenue next month as Maverick Sabre comes to town the night before Mango and Matman. Maverick Sabre's show takes place on Friday, February 18th, while Mango and Matman play the venue on the following evening. Access all areas. You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play, exhibition or gig coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. We started talking about the passport situation. It was before Christmas we talked about it first, but, but uh, it's come back again in late January and into February. We are inundated with people uh, complaining about the delays in getting their passport. The randomness of it all. The fact that some people can get a passport back in two days and other people are still wondering three months later what's going on, what paperwork do they want, why haven't they got the passport when everything was in order. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And... I was sitting here the other day talking to Pat Dawson of the Travel Agents Association. Pat was recommending that anybody whose passport might be about to expire this spring or this summer should go about renewing it now because there's all sorts of crazy delays in the system. Officially, Passport Office says allow 8 to 10 weeks for a paper-based passport. Online, you can have it in a few working days, but... It's just it's just gone crazy. And the travel industry is up in arms about it. Joined by Owen Corey of Air and Travel magazine. Owen, the industry up in up in arms about it because come the summertime you could have thousands of people with without valid passports who've got holidays booked. Good morning. Yes indeed. Uh, good morning to you. It is a nightmare. Um, you know the scene in Home Alone where they count the children on the way to the airport it's a case of counting the children's passports taking them all out and finding somebody's expired um, there's a couple of things that are going to help us a little bit 
I'll go into that. Um, first of all, there used to be a three-year expiry on a child's passport. That's been up to five years. The second thing, and it's more related to what you said there, that uh, the paper-based application, and paper-based applications really are new passport uh, applications. They, uh, anything relating, for instance, to a newborn child, very, very important you move early on that. And one of the things they've done to help that is that in the, um, in the support documentation you need for your new baby, it used to involve sending in the parents' passports yeah. as the support documentation. They're now accepting photocopies. One of the problems that was arising uh, before Christmas was that the child's passport would arrive back and the support documentation, which included the parents' documentation, was a little bit of delay on that. So you ended up with this nightmare scenario where your new passport had arrived and the existing passport wasn't in your hand. But uh, there's a myriad, there's a whole complex uh, range of problems there. And the passport office have been hiring. They've hired 300 extra people uh, to try and get through this. Pat Dawson, very sound advice, uh, very sound uh, cork man who gives very, very good advice on travel. Uh, Absolutely move early, jump early. Don't wait till close to the event. Check the passports now. Most people, um, the adult passports uh, are easier to manage than the child passports. Check every family member. Mm. Yeah. Like, if supposing my passport is due to expire in, in July and I want to go on holidays in July, like, they don't mind receiving an application now, do they? No, not at all. And, you know, the way... The way it used to work was um, January and February were very low months for passport applications. And then madness would happen June, July. And you could almost track it from year to year. You know, when there was a big event like the Euros in France or uh, the Poland, Ukraine Euros, there would be a plethora of guys who really don't travel that much who'd all decide, you know, with two weeks to go that they needed a passport. So you get these little spikes that related to major sporting events and things like that. Mm. Now, the COVID spike is uh, a very interesting one because nobody, uh, a lot of people haven't travelled for 23 months. So they're um, just beginning to look, uh, they just let passports go. So instead of having uh, a, a group of January passports out of date and then a group of February, we now have 23 accumulated months of them. Uh, and a lot of people yeah. running back to get them all. You could end up with a situation. It's, it's COVID, there are COVID spikes all over the place, by the way. There are COVID spikes in the weddings business and things like that, you know, where mm. uh, you've got a, a year's supply yeah. all being demanded in a very short no. period of time. And that's what the passport office are dealing with. The travel industry, Owen, like aviation, uh, spoke up about the whole unfairness of the COVID situation and they made their case very loudly. How long is it before the travel aid, the travel industry starts turning on the Department of Foreign Affairs and says, get your act together, lads? They have been doing that. They had a meeting, uh, the travel agent, Irish Travel Agents Association with Pat, Pat Dawson, the CEO, um, had a meeting uh, two weeks ago. Uh, they're talking about getting things like offices open um, because the face-to-face contact is more or less gone, as it is in most aspects of our lives, from the passport um, business. It's been several years now since they stopped uh, people going into the office to make the application. Face-to-face, um, it, 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 online works when all your paper is in order and the system is operating smoothly. Yeah. When it stops operating smoothly, face-to-face is good. Mm-hmm. But there is very little facility 
and there's no way of the passport office returning of turning on the tap quickly to get face to face applications and people coming in with their passports. And there they're charging for it system. too. Sorry? And they're charging for the appointment. And they charge it, but they, 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 there is an emergency system. It's basically uh, three days to go. You find somebody, the child's passport is out of date. You go in and you get it, but it wasn't built for COVID. Yeah. Like, I know of a lot of people who've listened to the programme here now, very concerned, Owen, particularly young mums who, who want to bring children away on their first holiday. And, and like children of two getting a first passport you explained it is getting a first passport for a child was always a nightmare it's even more of a nightmare now it's a very important legal document I mean passports the Irish passport is one of the most valuable in the world I think it's the third most valuable passport in the world we get into more countries visa free than the British do for instance or most of the almost any other country so you know getting a passport isn't just a, a matter of filling a form and turning up in the office and getting it so they there has, there's all sorts of legal implications for us. And if we start cut, taking any shortcut with that, our reputation, which is squeaky clean around the world, people love the Irish passport, the face lights up, they smile when they see it, uh, you know, go across the border. It's a very safe document, yeah. You, it's you. a very safe document. You go across borders in Africa where other European countries with a colonial pastor have all sorts of restrictions put on them. Once you say Ireland, they all... So it's really important we keep that reputation so they can't drop the standard. Hmm. The problem is not caused could, could by they, the, the I mean, restrictions. But if you look yes? at the way that when we had to run a very complex operation, like setting up a vaccine programme, a lot of stuff was outsourced and we got the army involved and all of that. Like, Could that be done to, to ease the backlog? Of course, you can outsource all, all aspects of the process. But at some stage, a human being has to intervene uh, with the legal knowledge to say this is an authentic application, and uh, you know this is a very this is this valuable document has been given out to somebody who uh, is not going to abuse it. Yeah. And you know you might say, okay, children aren't going to be criminals or drug dealers, no. but uh, the process still the the legal process that's in place is in there for a very good reason, yeah. and it's been very good for the reputation of Ireland internationally so, and the reputation of our passport internationally. Yeah. So I'm thinking in terms of young mum, young parents with two children who want to go on their first trip to, for argument's sake, Santa Panza in, in the summertime and, and they book their flights and they book their accommodation, but they need to get passports for the children to, to make sure that it goes through as quickly as it can. What should they do? How important is it to have everything ready and double-checked? There's no, there's no shortcut. It's jump early. It's the only solution. Now, there is um, something, you know, as I said, some people were waiting for PPS numbers for a newborn baby. And it's not just uh, Santa Ponza. It's also the reconnection of grandmothers and oh, parents. I know, I'm, just being, I'm, I'm just using that as a very simple yeah, example. No, no, I'm not. I mean, so I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Santa Ponza. But anyway, the, um, it, 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 the PPS number isn't required. Don't, you don't need to wait for the PPS number. But there's still a time lag and still a delay and the big frustration as you alluded to in your intro is the randomness of us people waiting three months and somebody else waiting two days Mm. Um, and there is another problem which they might be able to address that once you're in the system you cannot apply for an emergency appointment 
that was put in, um, I think, to clear out emergency for emergencies. But quite clearly, this is an unusual situation. And uh, if uh, that's something that Simon Coveney could do to st- uh, at the stroke of a pen is uh, say, OK, if you're in the system, you can still apply for an emergency appointment. I think when you're most people accept there's going to be a backlog, there's going to be a rush, there's going to be a sort of a, 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 a real a spike in passport applications. But when the bureaucratic uh, impositions put in or uh, hurdles put into uh, on top of the problem, mm. that's when people get really frustrated. As well as you said, as you said, the randomness of the system. Yeah. I, I asked Pat Dawson this the other day, and he wasn't sure. Maybe you know. Um, I'll try anyway. Yeah. Sure. Is there a pre- an actual printing press in the Cork office? The printing of the passport, as far as I know, is done by one of these major secure places uh, in uh, uh, near Dublin. I don't know. think there is a printing press in Cork. Um, the, it's a, it's the, the printing process would be used by uh, sports ticket people, uh, all of those sorts of things. Everywhere where there's QR codes and barcodes and identity checks involved yeah. process and uh, there aren't that many in the country. Because one would think that particularly for the, say, the south of Ireland to be so much easier if we could process Munster passports, for example, and get them all printed in Cork to be so much easier. Uh, you have, a, you, have, you have something to run with there. I'm not absolutely certain that there isn't one, but I yeah. would be, think it's highly unlikely. I, I used to think there was one. I remember covering it at one point when the passport office opened down there, but I don't know for certain. Here's a simple one. I'm applying for my youngest son. It's a nightmare. Why don't they assign a PPS number at birth? Some countries... You don't need it. You, you, don't, don't, need it. you don't need it for the passport. You do not wait, need to wait for the PPS number. That's really, really important. And that's one of the things that's, that's happened. Okay. Two things, and I repeat them. DPS number not required to to apply for the newborn baby, and second is the support documentation. They'll take a passport of the a photocopy of the parents' passport because uh, parents' passports will be caught up in the system as well as the child. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it copper fastens the identification process, though. This is the this is the, um, the the complaint that people are making. Also, even if you do a child's passport online, you must still print off the form to bring it to the guard the station to be signed. Yes. Apparently, guard the stations don't have passport forms anymore. I would be surprised at that. Um, I it's, a, it's not. It's probably before COVID. I was last in the guard the station picking up a passport form. But uh, it could be the case that they've stopped doing that. Yeah, yeah. We can... I, I'm, not, I'm not up to speed on that. It's maybe, we, maybe we could place a call to Anglis History Station and then maybe yeah. they tell us in the public office whether they have a passport expiring in July, travelling to Spain in June. Are we in trouble? Uh, no, Spain is okay. There are countries that need you need six months um, before the expiry of the passport. Uh, a good, a uh, notable holiday example would be Turkey. Uh, but uh, there is, if you check on the DFA website through their, the different countries that have different policies, but Spain is not one of them. If your passport uh, is, is valid on your return, the date of your return flight, you're fine. Okay, okay. Even if it were to expire within a few days of your return flight, you are okay. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, the six months, um, the, the, there's a sort of a six-month period that some countries require, but uh, Spain is not one of them. Well, I, th- I think the very clear 
advice on from yourself and indeed from Pat Jump early. Jump early. Go now, get yours, and make sure. And I guess make sure you have all of your ducks in a row before you do anything. Yeah, it's 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 not a, a simple process, you know. They, one of the big things is they allowed, and it was a huge move at the time. They allowed you to upload your own photographs, yeah. taken at home. Now, uh, the biggest cause for rejection of passport applications is that uh, photograph. It's complicated. You you know, we, we all get the thing. You don't smile, and yeah. your head has to, to fit into the little egg on the uh, paper. But a lot of them are rejected. Yeah. Is, um, is there an app? There is, is there an app? that you can put on your phone to actually there, there guide loads you. Of people, there are loads of people telling you they'll do it for money, but they, there's also on the DFA website a list of official photographers that they work with. And the official photographers, not, it, it has, I've come across cases where the official photograph has been rejected as well because these things happen, but uh, working with the official photographer will make sure, it will get you... Um, almost guaranteed that it will be accepted. Okay. All right, Owen, thanks very much. Oh, great pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. The advice, go early. If you think there's any doubt about a passport, go early. If you have a youngster, a smallie, that you want to take on their first holiday and it's July or it's August, go now. Get the stuff together now. Get everything together now and get the paperwork in because it is, even when everything is Everything is together. It's all delayed. Uh, here's one we got in. We got this. This is quite long, so I'll um, I'll read it. And it's it's a situation that you'd hate to find somebody in. I'd love if you could highlight the issue of people out of the country trying to get passports. My brother just needs a letter so he can go to the Irish Embassy in London to get a passport. Bit of background. My brother came to stay with me a few years back in England after our mother died. He was finding things tough at the time. He decided to stay with us and his stuff expired. So we now have to do the application from scratch. Sent everything in in July last. Got an email to say he needed picture ID. That too wasn't in date. But he can't get it without a passport. He can't travel home to get a new driving license because he has no passport or ID. We sent off loads more stuff they wanted in October and the application hasn't moved since. We can't go to the Irish Embassy in London because we need a letter. We seem to be stuck in a situation of no passport without ID or no ID without passport. I'd be grateful if anyone who's been in this situation can guide us with what to do. Maybe I'm out of touch, but I didn't think you require a passport to travel to the UK common travel area and all that palaver. I I know Ryanair insists on you having a passport. But, and I think Aer Lingus do too. Or did anyway. I don't, do you actually legally require a passport to go over and back to the UK? I don't think you do. I'm not sure that you do. 0818969696. A whole over on a load of passport comments again. A whole over on them as I talk to Sarah Lyons. Derry Girls star Nicola Collin was on her social media during the week for people asking people to stop making comments about her body. Uh, she did this on Instagram. She wrote it on Instagram. She said, Most people are nice and not offensive, but it's really hard to take the thousands of opinions on how you look every single day when it's got absolutely nothing to do 
entrusted you with, with what you do. Uh, we've talked to Sarah Lyons before, body confidence coach. You're saying, Sarah, we should never comment on anybody's body, good or bad. Does that even extend to complimenting each other in, in, in social circumstances, family or workplace, whatever? Good morning. Um, morning, PJ. Um, yes, absolutely. It's commenting on someone's body and how they appear can, even in a positive um, light, can have negative effects on that person. Um, I think we're in a society that, you know, is just obsessed with how people appear. And there, we never know how those comments are going to affect that person. We don't know what their story is. We don't know how they're going to react. And it's just best not to say anything and mm. maybe try and shift the focus away from appearance. Yeah, I happened to meet someone out randomly strolling around town last weekend, someone I hadn't seen for a very long time, and she said, God, you look well. And I, I was happy with the compliment, but you think even that kind of an exchange can have the wrong effect on some people? Um, I think so, because... Um, we are, we don't know, as I said, we don't know their story. So even if, you know, when we're commenting even good things like that, yes, we do look well, or, you know, um, you're, you've lost weight or you're looking great. Things that we think that is a really good compliment and we are, it is coming from the right um, place. But for someone who is receiving that compliment, it can be like, oh, okay, well, I have to look like this all of the time now. This is how I'm perceived, you know, and it's, you know, it can start to, you know, they can start to think that like, okay, well, I'm not good enough if I don't look like this all the time or if I'm not looking like a certain way. People could could put it in the wrong context. Oh, God, did I look bad the last time? Yeah, I can see that. But in terms exactly, of commenting, yeah. I mean, for example, I mean, we all know how absolutely brilliant Nicola was in Derry Girls. Can we not just leave it at mm-hmm. that, says you? Absolutely. I mean, there's so much more to people than their appearance. You know, you know, she is a fantastic actress and that's what she does. You know, we have no right to comment on her body or how she appears, you know, and she's dead right to say, now, hang on a second, just stop. Because if you have someone telling you either you're looking really well or even the negative comments that you're maybe not looking well or they're commenting on her body, you know, having that constantly said to you has a, a, an effect on your mental health because you start to go, hang on a second, am I not good enough? You know, if I change my look, if I look at a different start to look a different way and we need to focus on people's you know um uh, attributes rather than how they look you know there's so many things you know we're not just our appearance we're not just our body mm. there was a guy jonah hill uh, he said and also on instagram he said look good or bad i want to politely let you know it's not helpful and doesn't feel good in other words he doesn't want to hear anything about his body Yeah, he doesn't want to hear it. And he's every right to um, say that. And nobody, you know, has the right to comment on anyone else's body. It's none of our business. You know, it's we're all different. Bodies are different. You know, we're unique. Um, There's no one else like us. So trying to but the society that we live in wants to, you know, there's this ideal body shape, body weight, things like that. And anyone outside that is seen as different or wrong. And that just has to stop because it just, you know, it doesn't make people feel good. And, you know, there's so much more to um, 
us than just our bodies. We are more than that. Yeah. In the context as well of discussions when people would have, they get, did you see so-and-so? God, it got very, God, they got very heavy. I I cringe when I hear that happen in conversation. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's, yeah, it is a bit cringy sometimes. And it's, you know, it, it, we're commenting on other people's bodies sometimes to make ourselves feel better. Or sometimes, you know, when we're going through something or, you know, we can put people down and kind of comment about their weight and things like that. And it's just, you know, it has to stop because it's not making anyone feel good about themselves. And I really think we need to shift the focus away from appearance and weight and maybe try and, you know, if you meet someone, just maybe say, oh, you look so happy, you know, or something is like you, you love their style. Yeah. You know, you always look so well dressed. Try and shift it. Like, and if you can't, you know, just to be aware of what just you're say, saying, because I think sometimes. just say hello, yeah. it's nice to see you. <laughs> Exactly. Absolutely. I just think, just say hello. Hi, how's it going? You don't need to comment on anything else because, you know, you just don't know where that person has been or what they're going through and what could, you know, potentially not make them feel good about themselves. And we just need to show a little bit more kindness, really. That's the the, the end of it. (laughs) Sarah, I'll leave it there. Thanks for that. Sarah Lyons, Body Confidence Coach. Just don't, you don't need to comment on how somebody looks. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, just some clarification on that uh, long message we had from the person in London whose brother is trying to get a passport and has no ID and can't get ID without a passport and all of that and can't come home to get a driver's license without a passport, etc, etc. And I was asking the question, sure, you surely don't actually legally require a passport to go to the UK because of the whole common travel area. Now, the law says that you don't require a passport, but the problem is most of the carriers seem to be insisting on them. Uh, definitely the airlines you have to have a passport uh, the ferries may be not so strict but sometimes the company will impose a rule and the people at the ferry port have no option but to insist upon it uh, it's an unfortunate situation but you, 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 even though you legally don't require a passport to go over and back because of the common travel area it, it would appear that the the companies are entitled to ask for one and and they do Uh, and then by WhatsApp just sort of backing that up you need some form of picture ID to show going over to England so he still can go nowhere without that it's a WhatsApp message and thank you thank you for that a bunch of other stuff on passports which I will get back to some stuff on having no kids Mary Jane is spot on says Mags People think they have a God-given right to comment whether you have no children or six children. As a mum of six, I'm so used to people's smart comments. It really is a case of damned if you do and damned if you don't. 
Michael says if someone wants to tell you why they don't have kids, they will. If they don't want to tell you, mind your own business, don't comment and carry on with your day. Tony says I had four. That's plenty for us. Some are happy with one. Each to their own. Thank God we're not all the same. 0818-969696. Someone asked me recently, just in conversation, PJ, what's the story with Onakura? What is happening with the people in Onakura? You'll recall that last summer uh, the story broke that the Onakura Centre in Middleton, where people live in full-time accommodation, people who struggle with their mental health, that was to close. And the announcement was made that it was closing. And the families and indeed the residents were very distressed about that because they were to be moved out. And the HSE were saying there's no option. We have to close it. It's not fit for purpose. We will accommodate people elsewhere. But still all the time there were more questions than answers. And we we took the ball and we ran with it after being contacted by a Green Party councillor, Liam Quaid, and indeed some of the relatives. And we've been staying with it ever since because it didn't actually close on the day it was supposed to close, even though the HSE insists it is still closing and people are being moved out. But before I get an update from Councillor Liam Quaid, let me remind you of the day when I visited Onakura last autumn, in September. And it was an incredible privilege to be welcomed by the relatives and indeed by some of the residents. And we sat in the garden on a lovely September evening. We sat in the garden and we chatted about the centre and how long they'd been there and why they wanted nothing else but to stay there, if at all possible, and why they were confused and upset about being told that they'd have to move out. So before we hear from Councillor Liam Quaid, just a quick reminder of some of the things that the residents told us back in September. What do you like about being here? Um, it's very central. Um, um, there's, there's, there's everything within reach, and... Um as well as that, um, the, the staff are great. And you have no idea where you might have to go when it closes, do you? They haven't told us anything about that, and the staff say the same. The doctor over there, we have dentists over there, opticians, hearing aid, hairdressers, chiropodists. Everything you need. <laughs> yeah. And these services are right on the doorstep, and they tend to draw me out. Mm. Humanise me, and it helps me forget my <laughs> problems. To me, the location of this place is like a medicine. It's, it contributes to me getting better. I'm from here anyway, you know, so I'll miss the place badly, like. Yeah. Fair enough, the place ain't fit for purpose. Even the manhole covers outside the door are um, 1972. Yeah. It's 49 years old, this place, you know. Yeah, yeah. It dilapidated yeah, all, you know. getting emotional at the thoughts of having to leave. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, Councillor Liam Quaid, it's amazing. We started talking about this back in July and it's not only still not sorted out, but I think people are even more distressed than ever down there. That's right, PJ. Um, actually, I think the last time we spoke was we were coming up to an Oireachtas uh, Health Committee meeting on December 14th 
Um, and I think that gave families a lot of encouragement. Um, it was a very robust meeting. Um, HC management were questioned in very astutely, I felt, um, by all of the committee members and the, the local representatives who t- took part in that. And there was cross-party condemnation of the removal of all 24-hour staffed mental health uh, residential placements from East Cork. But unfortunately, um, despite that and despite the two meeting, two Oireachtas meetings that went before it, there's been no change to the service plans. And in fact, residents continue to be um, moved out of Onakura. Um I've heard from family members that there are 11 residents remaining. Mm. Um, so I, I've, I've felt there's a, a very urgent need for renewed Oireachtas scrutiny um, in the absence of government intervention here. And last week, uh, seven co- councillors co-signed a letter that I wrote to the Health Committee yeah. or, urging them to send a delegation of members to visit Onakura and St. Stephen's Hospital. Yeah. Um, St. Stephen's will not be a, a destination for many Onakura residents. I think that's clear. Um, in, in my view, because of negative publicity that would be associated with that for management. Um, it will, however, be one of the main alternative placements for other people from East Cork into the future. Um, and their stories will not be in the public domain and some yeah. will not have representation. From Liam, them. where are the... Re- you said there's 11 left, which means, what, something like eight or nine have moved out. Where have they gone to, do you know? I, I don't have information on that, I'm afraid. Yeah. Um so Do you even I, know if they're happy where they are, or where I, they were I, sent? I, I don't. I don't have contact with those families. Okay. Okay. Um, but I, I think I, I think it's it's I, I suppose a, a crucial moment really in all of this um, because I think we're all aware that if the service is closed fully, um, there there almost certainly will be no going back. Yeah. Um, so that delegation visit is actually due to take place on February seventeenth. Okay. And the aim is for the committee members to meet with residents and family um, to see the service, to see the scale of the Onakura site, which was the subject of quite contentious discussion at the committee meeting, and that they will be able to to get a sense first ha- firsthand of how connected uh, Onakura is to the town and the local community, yeah. and to contrast that with the long-stay wards in St. Stephen's. And I must just say that I, I have a strong affinity with St. Stephen's, um, and I've worked there in the past, and the staff there are, are exemplary. Yeah. And the grounds there are, are really impressive, but I think we're all we're all aware that it has very significant disadvantages in terms of uh, the rehabilitation and long-term um, placement of people with severe and enduring mental health difficulties. Well, well if you go back to my visit to Onakura back in September where one of the residents there put it to me very clearly the long list of facilities and just ordinary everyday things mm. that were within five minutes walk of Onakura. The nearest shop to St. Stephen's is a good 15 minutes walk away. And it's a very perilous it would be a very perilous walk to take because of, of the roads there. Yeah. Um, there's, there's no public transport to speak of and at a practical level, it can be difficult yeah. um, it, it, to, to to take um, residents out on outings because it depends on having a certain amount of staff on the wards yeah. and that's not always in place. Liam, the HSE has uh, insisted, and every time uh, the discussion has been raised on this programme, the HSE has insisted there is no alternative, there is no nothing else that we can do, the place is no longer fit for purpose. Uh, they continue to say that. 
you and your colleagues continue to be dissatisfied with that. Yeah, I suppose at that meeting, um, they, there was a very intensive scrutiny of the rationale, both the, the building rationale and the kind of service rationale. And I, I strongly believe that the committee were misled on a number of points. Um, and I'm, I'm quoting here from one of the managers, Kevin Morrison, who said that when he was um, being questioned by Roshan Shortall, he said the most important piece in regard to the closure rationale was that we had independent assessments in relation to the building, which indicated that no matter what we did to the building, it could not be brought up to an appropriate standard to deliver the service. Now, that is factually incorrect. The independent building reports all recommended works that were required on the premises. Um, None of those independent reports suggested that anywhere that the works were impossible to carry out. And the report that did suggest that was uh, a HSE maintenance department report. Mm. And we're still not clear what survey, what new survey of the building was carried out to arrive at that very drastic uh, conclusion. Um, There was also a number of uh, um, claims made and James O'Connor, local TD, uh, um, called out one of those as absolutely outrageous. The idea that on a site of the scale that that Onakora is built on, if you were to replace the building, you could only possibly have eight to ten single ensuite rooms and no other facilities. And I mean, there's acres of room at that site. You could build two floors there. And then when questioned further about this, the HSE maintenance manager at the meeting, Mark Kane, um, told Nasa Horrigan, my colleague, mm. um, we wouldn't seek to put people on upper stories, and I'm quoting here, and we certainly wouldn't invest in new buildings and put people long-term on upper stories. Yes, the main general long-stay ward in St. Stephen's is a place called Unit 8. It's on an upper floor. Um, Garnish House is a three-storey former B&B in Cork City that's been used as a community mental health residence since 2020. And it's now actually been offered to some of the Onakura residents. Um, and, and it's worth noting that it was reported in the Irish Times last year that the HSE spent 122000 in, in rent of this property from April to July in 2020. Mm. There's other, other community residences with upper floors, Glenmalure House in, in Blackrock Road, Gugon Barra in Western Road, St. Coleman's in McCroom. Then there was a, there was a, a point about a single room size apparently being so small in, in Onakura and they couldn't enlarge them that this was one of the reasons they didn't renovate the building. And yet there's a, there's a facility in Skibbereen called Sale Nua and every single room in that is smaller than every room in Onakura. Yeah. And yes, and we also have dorm style accommodation in St. Catherine's and St. Stephen's. What, what, I think, what I think you're saying here, uh, Liam Quaid, and every time it's suggested, uh, the HSE denies it. But you believe, and I think others believe too, there is an agenda to offload the Onakura site. I think there's an agenda, absolutely, to centralise the service running costs to facilities like St. Stephen's and um, St. Catherine's. And I think that's laid bare when you look at the, the, the massive disparity in investment that has uh, gone on in those um, facilities. So 2.9 million has been invested in St. Stephen's Hospital over the last 10 years. 1.9 million has been invested in St. Catherine's. So that's just one ward. I think there's 18, it has a capacity of about 18 uh, clients. 428,000 was spent on Onakura over that 10 year period. And la- last year, um, renovations were costed at 145,000. That was the lowest tender. And those renovations were not pursued. And I've asked um, 
the Public Accounts Committee to investigate why that is the case. Mm. I've also asked the Public Accounts Committee to explain or, or to investigate why is it that a new um, community residence is being opened in um, Carrigaline and it's actually been offered now to some of the, the vocal families of Onakura, um residents I think to divert attention away from the, the war-based facilities. It was bought in January 2021 at a cost of 750000 And I, I'd like to know why was Carrigaline chosen over Middleton, Yall, Carrigtool, Cove mm. for a new community residence? Um, and at, at the meeting, the ser- part of the kind of service rationale around this came from uh, Dr. Sinead O'Brien, and she says that um, Onakura did not need to be replaced because we had a reducing need for 24-hour placements um, because of other services, rehabilitation services that are being offered uh, clients. But if that's the case, why is there a, a new 24-hour yeah. service opening up in another part of Cork? Still still many, many questions, Liam, many, many months after you and I first discussed this on the opinion line. Do, do you think it's ever going to be resolved in a way that's satisfactory to all concerned? I think it's very difficult to say. I mean, all of the indications so far are extremely disillusioning. I mean, the amount of, of um, I suppose, scrutiny that this um, service decision has been given, the amount of condemnation, the, you know, families pouring out their hearts and, and doing so at a, a great cost to themselves um, in, in the public domain. Um, you know, none of that seems to have have had any effect on the decision makers involved and I think that has really been disturbing for those of us who are involved in this campaign that there's this very detached attitude mm. to the, the human impact of this and the frankly absurd um, service plan that's in place here it's, it's fundamentally flawed it's, it's at odds with a vision for change it's at odds with the Mental Health Commission's um, direction on how services sh- should be going Um you know, you're, you're, you're talking about removing all um, community-based placements from a population between 90 and 100,000. Mm. It, it's, it's, and, and, you know, into the future, St. Stephen's and St. Catherine's becoming one of the main um, de- destinations for those people. It, it doesn't make any sense clinically, ethically. Mm. Liam, I'll leave it there. Uh, and thanks again, as always. Thanks very much, PJ. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. A Cork boxer has demanded an end to Christmas tree fires in Toker because he's saying it could cost someone their life. Gary Spike O'Sullivan, yeah. the legend that is, is calling for whoever is setting fire to Christmas trees at the drop-off point in Clashdove Park in Toker. How we solve this problem is Spike in your boxing gear, gloves on, and you hang around there every evening. Yeah. It's not going to happen anymore. Yeah. Some fella walked up with a Christmas tree. <laughs> oh! Some stuff on passports that keeps coming in. Linda says, I was waiting for my passport two months. I was changing my surname. I did it online. My sister did it at the same time. 
got her passport the next day. It's the randomness of it. Paul says all passport forms are now online, even the child guardianship forms, which don't have to be signed now by a Garda, just by anyone in authority. Still don't know, can you guess a passport form in a Garda station these days? Not sure. We'll try to find out. What seems to be a point everyone's missing about passports is this. How anyone could purchase some holiday package without checking they're going to be able to travel. So how I understand the situation is a bunch of people bought holiday packages then later on checked their passports and now they're panicking. Come on, people, get serious. You've clearly never been caught in that situation. I would be one of the world's most careful and organised travellers. I would check the passports religiously. There was one year that I missed out on the checking of the passport and we discovered with about three weeks to go that my daughter's passport was out of date. I had to pull a few strings, well, get into the passport office and beg them basically to, to, to get a flipping passport. It's not easy, but we would normally check. But for some reason, I hadn't been able to put my hands on our passport. So it, it happens. It happens, pal. It happens. Don't don't assume that people do silly things, you know. 0818 96 96 96. I have a wonderful book in my hand. When you get a book into a programme like this, generally what I end up doing is reading it twice. I read it once quickly for the show, and then I take it, actually take pleasure out of it, maybe a few weeks or a few months later. But Catherine Kerwin, God bless you and spare you. I tried to read Cruel Deeds in Skim Read, and I got so engrossed in it that it's, uh, you're, you're a devil. Good morning. Good morning to you, PJ. It's lovely to it's lovely to be here to chat to you, um, and I'm so glad you seem to have enjoyed Cruel Deeds. Oh, stop, 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 stop! Second appearance <laughs> of your heroine Finn Fitzpatrick. The whole book, the whole story, based in and around the streets of Cork. Finn is a solicitor, as are you uh, yourself. That's right. Yeah. So this is the second book featuring Finn and her colleagues, and in 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 this particular book, one of her colleagues is murdered. How did you dream her up? How did you dream the whole thing up? Um, well, I I suppose I I mean Finn I had from book one, but I, I do want to explain to everyone that there's no need to have read book one to enjoy yeah. this book. I, was I think to get to it's, that to- yeah. it's totally a standalone. Um, and uh, I just had the idea. I, when I started writing about Finn, I, I put her, like, I work in a very traditional small office and uh, hello to everyone in the office. Um, they probably shouldn't be listening, so I hope they're not. <laughs> and they should be hard at work. But, um, and I, it's on Washington Street in Finbar Murphy Solicitors on Washington Street. And uh, they've been, you know, they're very supportive of me, obviously. But anyway, I, I decided there'd be no point in setting uh, a mystery story in a small office like ours because we'd know everyone really well and, and and so on. So I decided I need to make this a really big kind of glitzy posh firm. And that's what I've done. And the and Mandy, the, the woman, who the, the solicitor who dies, is at, at one of the senior partners, very well off and, you know, but she has secrets. And Finn finds out quite early on one of the secrets and then it's for the reader and for Finn as the book goes on to find out the full story. Mm. So as to how she came into my head, don't ask me. Mm. But I know that the the first time that Finn finds out that there is a problem is she's on her way home from a Dolly Parton concert in the Marquee mm. and she sees something that she shouldn't um, have seen, that she kind of wishes she didn't know about. Yeah. Um, yeah. So 
Would there so be, Mandy's would, been would, a bit naughty. <laughs> yes, yes, and it, and, it, and it develops from there. And one of your one thing that I like about your writing, Catherine, is that you don't spare the twists right from the very first page. You don't spare yes, the I, twists. You don't keep it all to the last two chapters. No, I think it's really important to kind of. I suppose what I'm doing when I'm writing is I want to write something that I would want to read myself. And so if I'm getting bored, I, I, I figured the reader would be getting bored. So then I need to kind of twist the knife a little bit and uh, move move the story on a bit further, you know, and just kind of uh, so that you kind of get around one corner and then there's another corner and you can't see what's ahead. And, mm. and I think that's why, and I like to keep, I like to keep the pace up all the time so that it's speedy and that you just want to be up all night reading it. Um, yes. That's the idea anyway, yes. and exhausted going yes. into work the following day. The chapters um, are very short <laughs> and that that, and that yeah. leads to quick... And just come back to Finn for a second because as I, yeah. mean, I had read the first one. Like You don't have to have read the first one and that's very true. She's, she's mm. feisty. She's determined. Yeah. She occasionally gets yeah. in trouble with her boss but she's insight she's very insecure and has her own demons too and that makes her a fascinating character yeah she's um she has her own demons and her own kind of problems and a bit of a you know a bit of a history um but at the same time she's she's brave you know and um she kind of pushes on through difficulties um even when things get really tough for her you know so she's a lot braver than i am i think um <laughs> and a lot a lot more reckless as well you know she does kind of things that i'd be kind of pulling back from but she's um in the end she kind of comes through and i think the reader wants that for her you know that she she comes through and solves the mystery in yeah. the end you know this is the so second. it's satisfying for the reader you know this is the second story featuring her darkest truth was the first are you surprised mm. at the success oh my god i think the reaction is just amazing i've got so much support i think particularly from people in cork I mean, the amount of books people have bought, you know, just even walking down the street, people are just, everyone is so nice to me about the book. And I mean, I was the one city, one book with the library um, yeah. there in, I think it was, was it 2020? And um, and it was, or maybe it was 2019. I can't remember which one. And, uh, but it's, that was really brilliant for me. And, uh, you know, and even say from, People in the legal community in Cork, people who work in other offices, people who work in the courthouse, you know, um, and all kinds of people have been really supportive of me. Um, so it's kind of, it's just blown me away, really. I have, I'm just shocked, to be honest, mm. shocked. <laughs> is, is, is there another story that you might put to paper soon? Um, well, I've started book three, PJ. Um, so that is... Uh, I can't tell you anything about it, but yes, it's another one set in Cork. Fantastic. Um, and I think Cork Cork is basically, um, I think you could set any number. And as you know, there's loads of books set in Cork mm. now. Mm. Um, but it's, I mean, the whole, um, the landscape and the beauty of the city. And the, there's just a drama here that I think mm. cries out to be written about. You know, I mean, even walking into work this morning, um, I'm, you know, just standing on the bridge it's just an amazing place and mm. and I mean as I was walking along I was walking along um, Sullivan's Quay and I was just thinking you know this looks so different today to the way it looked looked yesterday mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and I think that's why there's any number of um, options really 
uh, when you're writing about Cork because things change, you know, and you, you just see it, you notice a different thing. It's the light or something, mm. notice something different every day. And, um, you know, I'm very happy living here and I re- really like writing about Cork and I think people really like reading about Cork as well, you know. You're very true to the geography as well. One could almost walk around with Finn, which is great. Yeah, there are some made up places oh, I know. which I did, you know, but 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 there but yeah. Your love you know, affair with the English aspect. market is quite obvious, Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean they're every bloody day, you know. <laughs> so like, you know. Yeah, um, but there are there are some made up places as well, which I did just for the sake of it, you know. Um yeah. and but but basically anyone walking around will know that they're in Cork, you know. Yeah. And I mean, like you, you're you a big crime fiction fan. I know that, PJ. Yeah. You know, like when we're, you know, if you're reading a Michael Connolly book, you're in LA. Yes. You know, if you're reading an Ian Rankin book, you're in, you're in Edinburgh. Yeah. And I always figured people would want to be you know, travelling to Cork uh, as well in, you know, in a crime fiction novel. And, but what's amazing is that Cork people like travelling to Cork as well in such, in a huge way. You oh, know yeah. I mean? The, the oh, reaction yeah. from local readers has been just amazing, yeah, you know? Yeah, a book based in your own hometown is, is a great thing to read. Uh, Catherine, would you ever fancy seeing this on the telly? Um, I suppose I would, yeah. But like, you know, I mean, obviously anyone would say yes, but nobody has said anything to me about that yet, you know. Mm. So, but you never know, you know, you yeah. never know. Um, I, 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 I think I think it would I think it would make make great telly. Yeah, I, I think it would be lovely to see Cork on telly, actually. You Absolutely. know, oh, uh, in that way, in that kind of detailed yeah. way, you know. Yeah. Dear Netflix, you know, we, of course we have it. We have it with the we have it with the young offenders already. Yes. Obviously, yes. you know. Yes. I mean, yeah. you'd, like that's a love affair with the city as well, isn't it? Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's a super. It's a super piece of work, Catherine. Congratulations on it. Uh, as a very. Even though it's not a follow-up, a very strong follow-up to Darkest Truth. So well done, well done. Re- really enjoyed the book, and uh, best of luck for the future, Catherine. Thanks, so, thanks so much for your support, PJ, and to everyone in ninety six FM and Fiona and all of the gang. And um, shall we see you around the streets someday? Take care, Catherine Kerwin, uh, author of Cruel Deeds, the new book. It's launched, it goes on the shelves today. It's a wonderful, wonderful read. It really is. 0818 96 96 96. I've been saying this for a very long time and I'm sure my my good friend John Breen in Waterstones will agree with me. And I, I say it every chance I get. First of all, Irish crime fiction is currently among the best of the, in the world. Always has been. But Irish crime fiction written by women is up there at the moment with the best in the world. We really have some incredible female crime writers, and it's great to see. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM. Well, that's more passport stuff. It's, it's a live issue. It really is. Mags, thank you. Mags checked with her other half, who is a guard, and you can get passport application forms in a guard the station. Thanks to that, Mags. Caller says, PJ, I'm waiting two years for a passport. What? They queried things on my application. Then a new person told me the photos were no good. Then I was told my application was no good. So I started again. Then they told me my old application was still in the system, and they didn't want two applications. 
It's a breach of human rights because we have signed treaties guaranteeing freedom of movement in Europe. It should be their job to have an effective joined-up application process and not have it so random. I have written to President Higgins about this. Another document you might need is a driver's license. PJ, I have to renew my driver's license soon. I hear cash isn't being accepted. Why is this? Is cash not legal tender? Does anyone know? Yeah, we heard that during the week. Someone contacted the program to say that their daughter was gone in to get a driver's license. She doesn't have a bank account. She doesn't have a card. She just went in with cash. They don't take cash in the driver's license office, which is just bonkers. And you're right. Cash is legal tender. And there are a lot of places refuse cash. I dislike it intensely. I dislike it intensely. I was out the weekend, as I said, and I went up to the counter to pay for my round. I put my hand in my pocket and there was a 20 euro note. I said, you know what, pay with cash. And honest to God, it's where I'd drawn a knife. The uncle looked at the cash and he sort of squeezed up his nose. Oh, Grenzo. And the till had so much dust on the on the, on the drawer. But yeah, um, cash is still, should still be acceptable. Uh, the, the Irish Passport Service have now tweeted, oh, crikey, here's, if, if we hadn't enough problems, some people are experiencing issues when uploading their photo to our online service. We're investigating this and we'll keep you updated. Our apologies for any inconvenience Caused. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Have you downloaded our app yet? The ninety six FM app for your phone or your tablet, because there's so much more to ninety six FM than just the radio station. There's the hit mix. There's the fit mix. There's the Premier League. There's all of the podcasts from the Opinion Line that are up there every day, and podcasts from other shows too. All available on our packed app which is available from all of the app stores. And then if you have a smart speaker, of course, you can ask it to play Cork's 96 FM. 0818 Now, tomorrow, the 4th of February, is World Cancer Day. And to mark it, the Celiac Society has published a guide on eating to reduce the risk of cancer. Now, this isn't just advice for, for people who are celiac, it's it's for all of us. Sarah Kyo is a registered dietitian and nutritionist and she joins me. Sarah, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good. I was quite pleasantly surprised to discover that coffee was on the list, but I'll get to that in a while. <laughs> there are certain things we should all do in our diet to reduce our risk of certain cancers. It seems obvious, but let's go through them. Fruit and vegetables... Protein, fiber, basically a good, healthy, balanced diet. Well, that's it. I mean, there's there's a reason sort of healthy eating guidelines are what they are, because, you know, over the last sort of 50, 60, 70 years, as we look at kind of food and nutrition and what we need, they see they tie in then when we are getting the good nutrition that we see reduction in cancer, as well as other things, heart disease and all the rest. And, you know, we know that people with undiagnosed celiac disease are at a slightly increased risk of a couple of different kinds of cancer. So one of the reasons why we need people to get diagnosed if they think they have it. Um, but for everybody and for all of our members, um, we're talking about looking at nutrition and health for cancer. Um, and it's as part of our Minding Me gluten-free course that we run for members at the start of every year. Meat versus fish is always the argument. Which is healthier to eat, more meat or more fish? 
to be honest, it's it's about balance with it. Sometimes, you know, when it comes to nutrition, we love to nearly point at one food and go ban that completely. But we actually don't need to be that extreme. So red meat is absolutely fine as part of a healthy diet. Um, but what the World Cancer Research Fund is telling us is to keep it to maybe three times a week. So we want to keep it under sort of 500 grams um, of cooked red meat a week. So you could go a little bit lower on that. And that's absolutely fine. Fish, however, does have tremendous benefits. And we do know that people who eat um, a little bit more fish do have a slightly reduced risk of cancer, particularly colon cancer, compared to people who don't eat any fish. So what's a lovely thing to do is bring in your fish, you know, your fish on a Friday or get your fish in twice a week, um, you know, instead of maybe some of the red meat that you might be eating. But also we know there's huge benefits to having some vegetarian-based meals as well. So your beans and your lentils and your pulses are fantastic. Yeah. So it's really kind of not always focus on the red meat and mix it up a little bit. Mm. There was a time when we were told that we should limit our intake of eggs, then an egg a day was okay. Now, as someone who eats a lot of eggs and enjoys them, what is the story with eggs? So it's it's a funny thing. People often say to me that, you know, dietitians or nutritionists are always changing their minds. And in the 30 years I've been studying and working in nutrition, the one the one change has been eggs. So I know when I qualified as a dietitian, it was kind of we were talking about four eggs a week. These days we know about seven eggs a week is absolutely fine. So that's kind of where we would look with it. And um, from a cancer point of view, we don't see a cancer risk really with eggs, but we do see around kind of heart disease and heart health would be one of the factors that we'd look at kind of with eggs. So your egg a day is absolutely fine. Okay. Fruit and vegetables, nuts and seeds. Now, people watching their weight will be told that those almonds are not good for you. But at the same time, they are good for you for other reasons. So I would say two things. We tend to mix up weight and health an awful lot. And obviously yeah. we do need to be a healthy weight, but we don't need to be, you know, super skinny or obsessed with it and, and the way that sometimes we are. And I think sometimes we, I, and I've over all the years, I've seen lots of people who would be a healthy weight, but unhealthy because they're not getting their nutrition in. So when we talk about nuts and seeds, we know that they're really, really great um sources of nutrients that help the body that help to reduce cancer risk what we don't need is to sit down to you know a whole giant packet of salted peanuts sitting on the couch watching tv at night but a handful of almonds through the day is a really good snack to get a spoonful of seeds into your cereal in the morning is a lovely way and it's really about adding up the fiber so it's like everything it's amounts there are the nuts and seeds are incredibly good foods to eat but we don't need vast amounts of them how about dairy Sarah, again, it's one that seems to change from time to time. A couple of years ago in, in our house, we moved to almost exclusively lactose-free milk. Um, yeah. And, and now, taste-wise, there isn't a difference. But, but we like the lactose-free milk. But milk in general and dairy products in general, yes or no? Oh, absolutely, yes. Really, really great foods to eat. Um, what we do need to limit when it comes to dairy is things like your butter and your cream because they're very high in saturated fat and that's definitely an issue around things like heart disease and so on. Mm. But your milk, your yogurt, your cheese are really excellent foods to take. You know, If you're lactose intolerant, it's fantastic that there's now lactose-free milk available. Mm. Um, but there is huge confusion about dairy and I see more sort of misinformation about dairy on, you know, kind of if you go into social media and things like that. Mm. So one of the myths I'd love to put to bed is the idea that dairy somehow causes cancer. In fact, the opposite is true. We know that people who drink milk and eat cheese and yogurt have a reduced risk of bowel cancer. Right. Um, so we actually, and we don't see any associations with um, dairy and increasing cancer. Now, I know when I say that, a lot of people have heard the opposite so often that they actually yes. find it hard to believe that. It, you know? it is, isn't it? Let's let pause on that isn't one for it? a second. It's so hard yeah. to find out what is true and what is not because the truth kind of seems to change. Like the other night, um, the wife cooked off some, some carrots 
for the dinner and she cooked them in butter. Now, they were absolutely gorgeous. Oh, she was saying, oh, they're, oh, they're cooked in butter. She said, we, we really shouldn't have them. You know? uh, now and again. Look, this is the thing. Like, I, I, one of the love, you say it's hard to find information on nutrition. And I say that it, it, it is and it isn't. What you look for is someone who's actually studied nutrition. Because we have the issue in Ireland where anybody can sort of talk about nutrition. And we take advice from, you know, somebody down the pub or whatever. Your registered dietitian, your core registered dietitian, if you are getting information there from someone who's talking about it, writing about it, or you can book in and go and see a core registered dietitian, you'll get the accurate advice. Um, but, you know, that's what I said about the butter. It's fine to have a bit of butter now and again. I am very partial to an egg fried in butter. It's absolutely delicious. Yeah. But but it's not about doing it all the time. But I suppose I'd often say being a dietitian, I know that. And I don't waste my time feeling guilty, you know, on yeah. things like that. Because, you know, life is too short. Moderate, but, you know, moderation in all things, I think it's, is what you're no, saying. Well, that's exactly it. You know, so the idea is that you're bringing in the, the good nutrition, that you're getting your fruit and veg and you're getting your nuts and seeds in. Focus on what to bring in. We don't need to be really obsessed about what to cut out or what to limit, um, but we do need to sort of bring it in. And it's it's one of the reasons, like as part of the Minding Me Gluten-Free for the Celiac Society, we're going to do a, a webinar next week. So it's on Wednesday at one o'clock and anybody can register. It's open to anybody, celiac disease or not. But what we want to talk about there are the foods that we can bring in to help reduce cancer risk and maybe take some of the fear and confusion out of it and that's sure. one of the reasons we're doing it is that as you said people getting access to the right information and sure. um, so anybody can register at celiac.ie to come along to that now one to watch and one that surprises me finally obviously alcohol you you know too much too much booze is not good for anybody but is there a cancer risk associated with it Unfortunately, there is. Um, and we, the World Cancer Research Fund would tell you there is no safe level of alcohol when it comes to cancer. So cancer is, or um, alcohol is unfortunately carcinogenic. Now, obviously, the less you drink, the better. Um, but certainly in Ireland, we could do with maybe reducing down the alcohol a little bit. Now, we're starting to. It's definitely changing with that. Um, but yeah, I have no good news for you on the cancer. Sometimes people say, oh, well, you know, is it is it good if we drink it? Is it good for your heart? And so on. But we do see alcohol associated, particularly with things like breast breast cancer, mouth cancer, liver and colon cancer. So it's definitely less is going to be better for that one. Right. Um, and I notice slightly less red wine than white wine. Well, it's just the amount. Red wine generally would be higher in alcohol content than white wine. So we'd often talk about, you know, a, if we talk about a standard drink or a unit in terms of wine, you might talk about 100 mils, um, which you should measure out. It's a lot smaller than you might think. Um, but that's for white wine. For red wine, um, which can be a lot higher in alcohol, that measure is around 75 mils, mm. which is really tiny. I know when people pour that out and think, wow. Barely, and it's one of the things I'm fine. You barely wet the bottom I, of the glass. You know. Well, you see, this is it. And things like that can't be a glass. But the problem is, I think people don't realise how much alcohol there actually is in wine compared to something like, you know, a beer. Yeah. Um, but we tend to think about wine like beer in Ireland. You know, we tend to put it into the big glass and we tend to gulp it. But you have to be thinking about wine a lot closer to spirits like whiskey, <laughs> so a smaller glass and yeah. sit. I know I'm depressing people. No, 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 no. I think I th I'm going, yeah, I had a glass of wine last night and there was a bit more than 75 in it. There, there was. Yeah. Lastly, coffee. Now, as someone who loves his coffee, it's okay. It, you know, there's some lovely good news here. We are definitely seeing in the research a big trend toward coffee actually being protective against a couple of different kinds of cancer, but particularly colon cancer. Now, you've got to just balance it a little bit. But in the research, people having maybe between two and four cups of coffee a day are definitely having a reduced risk of colon cancer. So some, some good news at the end of all of this. That's fantastic. That's fabulous mm. news. <laughs> Isn't it? It's nice <laughs> to know coffee how, might be good how, for you. how about tea? 
we do we see reductions in cancer with tea and um, we don't have massive research on black tea so when we look at the research on green tea it's the same plant but they're just processed differently mm-hmm. so we do see reductions in liver cancer with green tea but as we're getting more research on black tea it seems to be having benefits around cancer reduction as well um, so absolutely go for your tea if people want to join your webinar next week, and indeed they don't have to have any connection to celiac disease at all, how can they go about it, Sarah? So you can register at celiac.ie. Um, so just pop along to the website. You can register there, absolutely no problem. And anybody is welcome. As I said, if you have celiac disease, you know we're really looking to get our members there, but anybody who wants to come along and get some really good you know, science-based information and get rid of some of that confusion um, about nutrition and cancer, anybody is absolutely welcome to come along. Okay, listen, good to speak with you on the opinion line. That is Sarah Kyo, registered dietitian and nutritionist with the Celiac Society. But celiac or not, uh, that webinar sounds fascinating. There were food. I'm, I'm, listen, that's the best news I've had all week. That drinking coffee, actually drinking coffee in moderation, can ward off colon cancer. That's good news to finish the day. The programme, edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. See you tomorrow, Friday, again, just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Cork's 96FM has a shiny new phone number. 0818 96 96 96. Save it to your phone now. Save it to your phone now. 0818 96 96 96. The new number to call Cork's 96FM.